This is for the ones broken, even those we've been forgotten. God's arms are still open, His love reigns over everyone. So love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love without conditions to the lost and the steeple. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 25. 37 through 43. That's where we're going to start today. And we've been talking about our, fa- our family values at Elevate Life Church and why this is important. And I'll get into that in a minute. But let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 37 through 45. It says, then the righteous will answer Jesus saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you? Or when were you thirsty? And did we give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. But it doesn't stop there. Look what he says. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'll take this word today and plant the seed of the word in the hearts of the people. Lord, we believe that you're moving in this church and you're about to move in a way that we've never seen before. I pray that our hearts would be open to this. And I pray that you would just take control of this Sunday to plant the word in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So for the last six weeks, we've been talking about this topic of this house. And I put it to you like this. Everybody here is building two houses. All right. So the adults here, obviously, if you have children, you're in charge of building your house. Can I get an amen on that? As adults, it is up to you to establish what is the family culture in your house. Now, this may seem like basics, right, for some of us, but we live in a day and age where parents are now saying, well, it's up to my kids how they want to live. That don't make no kind of sense. Come on, somebody. Amen. We live in a day and age where psychologists are now saying that you should allow your children to choose their gender. Four years old. Let your four-year-old figure out 
how they feel about themselves and make a decision there. How does that make sense? You know, that's the world we live in today where an adult will allow a child to make the decisions in their home. And guys, that's what culture's feeding you. That's why we need to have the word of God in our lives because it is not children's roles to lead a home. It's your role. Come on, parents, amen? It's your role. If we let the children lead the home, guess what's for dinner every night? Candy and ice cream or cereal and not the healthy kind. Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms, and, and, and that's about it. You know, it's interesting what's happening in society today. It reminds me of a movie that came out in the late 90s called Big Daddy. How many remember that movie with Adam Sandler? It was really a prophetic movie. It was telling the future in that movie. If you've never seen that movie, check it out. Basically, it's about a man that adopts a child. Uh, There's a whole story around that, but he gets a child and he gets the idea, my father was so strict on me, I'm going to raise my kids different. I'm not going to be like my dad. Instead, I'm going to let the child name himself, clothe himself, make his own decisions. So he tries it for about a week. He says, son, what do you want your name to be? The kid says Frankenstein. <laughs> and then he says, well, what do you want to wear to school? The kid throws on rain boots and shorts and all, he's all messed up, lets him eat whatever he wants. He gets sick until finally he realizes this is not working. This child should not be making these decisions. I should be because I'm the adult. Come on, how many have seen that movie? Go back and watch it through this lens because we are now living in a society that says, let your kids run the house. And I have had conversations with parents that say, well, you know, I really don't push my beliefs on my children. Really? You don't push your beliefs on your children? Yes, I, I, I want my child to find his own way. You know what that's called? That's called child abuse. Because it is a parent's job to lead their children in this life until they can make their own decisions. And when a parent gives up that role, let me tell you, that's child abuse. That's child abuse. Because Joshua knew that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, it's up to me to run my house. Go back and listen to those messages. I don't have time to reteach it to you. Go on Spotify, go look at Elevate Life Church Sacramento, hear those things. Because you've got to take the reins back in your family. Amen. God is looking to you. Amen? Amen? It's not your teenager's job to dictate what your life is about. Do you know there are families? They do everything around their teenager sport. So if their teenager plays basketball, well, four months of the year, we do everything around his life for playing basketball. Can I just give you a newsflash? He'll never make the NBA. Chill out. 
oh, but this is his dream, and this is what he wants to do, and we build everything around this. Listen, I'm all for that to a degree. Listen, I have kids, and they played everything. They played soccer. They played basketball. They played baseball. One thing they didn't play was football. I saw concussion. That jacked me up. You know, I let my kids get concussions out there playing football. Selena cheerled. She played softball. Guys, we did it all. But guess what? In the midst of doing that, Sundays are for God. I remember my youngest son, it came time to, for him to play travel ball. I had to say, son, listen, as for me and our house, we will serve the Lord. We're not going to be out three months of the year not being able to come to church. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Just tell your neighbor, that's pastor talking. That's not me. Just, I'm, just, I'm just giving you my story. But here's the situation I want you to catch. We're letting our teenagers, our children dictate our entire lives when you're the one that should be dictating the direction of your house. Play the sports. Give them the opportunities they need. Yeah, maybe they'll get a scholarship. Maybe they'll get this. But it shouldn't come at the expense of your vision for your life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we talked about that. But then we also talked about every single follower of Jesus Christ is building a second house. And that second house is God's house, Amen. the church. Now, there is a deception in American Christianity that says, well, I can be a follower of Jesus Christ, but not have a connection to his house. And I'm just telling you right now, that's a deception. It's not true. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it means you are doing what Jesus is doing. I know you got your career. I know you got your business. I know you got your family. But it is your job. If you are truly followers of Jesus Christ, you must be doing what he's doing. And the Bible tells me he's only doing one thing. He is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you and I to build his church. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. He's building his church. And guess what? If you and I are following him, we should be too. And I'm tired of this doctrine of devils that says, well, I, I serve, Jesus is my Lord, but I don't go to church. I don't believe in church. So it's just me and the Lord. You know, I pray and I read at home. Well, that's great. Good for you. But Jesus told us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Jesus also said we are to be a part of his body. The thumb just doesn't get to go, I don't want to be a part of this body anymore. I'm going to be over here. So when people say things like, well, you know, I'm a believer. I, I just, I'm not really in the church, you know. I, I just, me and God have our own personal relationship with, together. And I, I'm telling you, you got to read the Bible. Because Jesus left us here. He saves us and he gives us the mandate. Everything that I've given to you, you give to others. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we must get back to having a love for the house of God. 
And so everybody has two houses they're building. You're building your house. My point is this, build it around God's word. Amen? Amen. Build it around God's word. The second house we're building is the house of God. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. And what that means is we are out gathering stones. What are stones? You and I, the Bible says, are living stones. And so every time we reach somebody with the message of Jesus Christ, every time we invite somebody to the house of God, every time we lead somebody to the Lord, we are gathering stones and we're bringing them into the family of God. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not building his church, are you really following Jesus? Or have you made Christianity a religion to something you do on your own? I got to tell you this. Being a Christian is a team sport. You can't do it alone. Well, you know, I I just do it all by myself. You know, it's just me. I pray and I read. That's great. But how about obedience to the Lord? And so we've been talking about that. And that led us into family values because I told you, just as you have to have family values for your family, the church must have family values. And every church is different. Every church has an assignment that God has put them in a community for. When my wife and I and our family moved from Florida to Sacramento, my conversation was, God, why do you want me to start this church? Why does Sacramento need another church? And so we asked him, what, what is the vision? And he gave it to us very specific. And we've talked about loving God and lifting others. And, and we talked about the kind of disciples that we want to produce in this community. And the first thing we talked about as a cultural point here was that we want to produce believers that are lovers of the word. Amen? We want to, we want to produce disciples that love God's word and value God's word. Because the average Christian in America doesn't read the Bible. The average Christian in America is Bible illiterate. They don't take the time to read the word of God. And I'm just telling you this, church attendance can't change you, but the word can. Now, if you're using church attendance to get the word, then that can change you. But this can't be the only time you eat. You've got to develop a love for the word of God, not a toleration for the word of God. Now, what's the difference? Many of us tolerate the word of God. That's why we only get it on Sundays. It's like you're being force fed. But when you fall in love with the word of God, you wake up every day and you want to crack it open and see what God's saying. You wake up every day and you want to just get a little, get a scripture, just one verse, God. That's my, God, just give me one verse that I could chew on all day, that I could feed on, that I can eat on. And we want to be a church that produces believers that love God's word. Can I get an amen on that? And so I'm going to do everything in my power as I preach to you on Sundays to give you the word. I've said it before. I don't do TED Talks. I don't do motivational preaching. I'm not just here to get you pumped up and get you on fired up and just give you a message that you get excited. Yes, God can do it because I tell you what, that's only going to reach you till Tuesday. That kind of motivation is only going to last a couple days. And then by Tuesday, you're calling your weed dispensary. Come on. And you say, I just need a little for my anxiety. I got to take the edge off, Pastor. That's all. I'll be back Sunday. Don't worry. I just, man, life is, it's really been tough. I know what you were saying on Sunday. And then by Thursday, now you're breaking out the Hennessy. Come on. And you're just like, oh, I got one more day to the week. Let me find the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're doing, 
Then you just, you try to get through. And by Friday, you're scrolling through your phone and you're like, oh, I wonder what she's doing tonight. Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, And you're going through your old contacts and, you know, it's cold out here, pastor. Uh, The weather's not, I need to call somebody for a little fellowship, you know. And, and, And then you, by Sunday, you're coming in here like, I'm your weed dealer. Pastor, give me another hit real quick. I had a tough week. Come on, shoot, shoot me up in the arm here. Just, just I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be pastor who's your, 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 your drug dealer. You know, don't run to me like you used to run to them, you know? And, and if you treat, and so many Christians treat church like that. I got to go get fed. I got to go. No, feed yourself. Tell your neighbor, feed yourself. Say it with an attitude. Say it with a South Sac accent. Feed yourself. Okay, so the way we combat that, guys, is we want to be lovers of the word. So we're going to do everything in our power. You know, one of the things we're starting to do with our our merch store in there, we're going to have a book of the month. And we're going to we're going to have a book that made available there. And we're just going to say, hey, this is the book of the month. And it is uh, the one this month that we have on sale in there is Pastor Charles Neiman's uh, latest book, uh, Endings and Beginnings phenomenal book filled with the word of God to help you understand topic, that topic, what it means to start a new season and to end the season. Maybe you're ending singleness and you're moving into a season of being in a relationship. Maybe you've, you know, you were, you guys have been together, but now you're entering a relationship where you're becoming a parent. Listen, you need to get this book. That's full of the word to help you. And we want to make things available to expose you more to the word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because the Bible says, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is that word, the kingdom of God? It means seek first how God does things. And that's all found in the word. Second cultural point we talked about earlier was that we want to be a place where the people of God we pray. Everybody say that on the count of three. One, two, three. We pray. All right? The average Christian in America has zero prayer life. The average Christian in America doesn't pray except over their food and maybe when they go to bed at night. The average Christian only prays the lowest level of prayer. Now think about this. We are three-pronged beings. We are spirits that own a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. And most Christians only pray from their understanding, their soul. And prayer from your soul, one aspect, that's one third of who you are, looks like this. Father, I worship you. I thank you. I bless you. Now, can you do this for me? Now, can you help me here? Now, can you do this for my family, my kids, this, that, and you're done. Because that's all you're limited to is your understanding, your soul. But there's something else that you've got to go deeper into, and that is the spirit realm. Because once you start praying from your spirit and your soul, you'll begin to see God change some things in your flesh. And you got to get all three of those things involved. And so one of the things we're doing is we've started a prayer school, okay? And I was blown away. I was blown away by all the signups that we, we, we had so many people signed up. We, we, every week they're putting out a new page and you should have got a call this week. But what I was blown away by was the number of females that signed up for that prayer course. And what I was let down by was the number of men that signed up to learn how to pray. Got real quiet in this Baptist church. 
Because see, what I've understood is this. Many people in the church think prayer is a woman thing. Because we all had a praying grandma. Come on, somebody. Look at the smiles. Oh, yeah, we got praying grandmas. Oh, God bless you, grandma. I see you up there. And you just get good feelings about your praying grandma. Or maybe you had a praying mama. Come on. Every time you got in trouble, you'd call her mama. I just need your prayers right now. And she would say, oh, that's okay, baby. I'm going to pray for you right now. And and you, you, you lived off of mama's prayers your whole life. But can I tell you, ladies, something? There is also a prayer. And let me tell you something, guys. There's a prayer that even trumps praying grandmas and praying mamas. It's the prayers of fathers. Well, that's not fair, Pastor. How can you say that? I could say that because the Bible tells us that the head of the home is the man. Oh, don't get mad at me. Tell your neighbor, don't get mad at him. He's just quoting the Bible. I don't. Why is the man the head? Take that up with Jesus when you get to heaven or if you get to heaven. Amen. With that attitude. Okay. Because I'm telling you, but here's the problem, right? Prayer in the church has become a thing women are drawn to. Can we change that, Kingsman? Can we change that here? So what we do, we're starting this prayer school and I'm doing it. You know, in a lot of churches, it's the pastor's wife that leads the intercessors. And we've contributed to that mindset that prayer is for women. But I'm here to tell you, men better learn how to pray. Because you need prayer to stay off of internet porn. I've got three amens. I should have got amens through this whole place in here. Listen, you need prayer to keep you faithful to your wife. You need prayer to deal with that anger problem you got. And yet when I put out prayer school, I had more women sign up than men. Now that could be because all the men in this church know how to pray. Or that could be because men, you've not made it a priority. And I challenge you on that because you'll never go further in life than your prayer life. So many of you might've got a call on that already because I'm not just trying to pack this thing out. I'm only taking 12 to 15 people each semester and we're going through four weeks of praying with me personally. I only want a small group so that we can talk, we can discuss, you can ask questions, you can, I can speak into you because prayer must be caught and not taught. We just want the A, Bs and Cs. No, 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 you gotta come and get in it with me. You gotta come and I gotta challenge you. And I got to be able to say, no, no, don't pray like this, pray like this. Well, why? Because the scriptures say this. So if you didn't sign up, man, you'll get another chance. But now you're, you're, you're on the waiting list. Most of the women beat you to the punch. Amen? Amen? But my job is this. Before you leave this earth, if you're a part of this church, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Pray with the spirit. We're going to get you filled with the Holy Ghost and get you away from this. I'm afraid to pray in tongues. That's why you're weak. That's why you're defeated. Well, I just don't understand it. That's why you need to be discipled. Because if we could get you praying, guys, anything's possible. Tell your neighbor anything's possible. Amen. So so, uh, that was our second cultural point. We love the word and we pray. 
And then we also talked about the third cultural point, which gets into now. Those are the first two are how we relate to God through prayer and the word. The third one we said is this, we do our best to believe the best. And if you're a part of this church, I'm going to do my darndest to change your thinking about life. Because if you can't believe for the best, you'll never have it. And some of us are so doggone negative, it is, it is pathetic that how negative some of us are. You serve a God that parted the Red Sea and you're still so doggone negative? You wanna, uh, you wanna elevate your trauma and your experiences above God? When someone says, you can change, you don't have to live with that pain. And you go, well, you don't know what I went through. It doesn't matter what you went through. God's greater than that. Well, you know, I was in the pen 20 years. God's greater than you being in the pen 20 years. Well, pastor, you don't know what I did. I did a lot of dirt. It don't matter. God is the great uh, the vacuum cleaner. He'll pick up your dirt. But not if you're negative. Negative thinking has corroded the people of God. And so instead of believing for the best, we live by fear. Some of y'all lost your minds during COVID. Come on, smile at me. That's all right. Nobody knows I'm talking to you. You lost your mind. People still wearing masks that don't work. I, and that's not me. That's the science. First, it was trust science, cover up. Okay, amen. But then they, then they came out and said, those masks really don't work. And people said, well, I'm wearing them anyway. I don't want to get political here. I'm not into that, but I'm just telling you, where is your faith? Why don't you believe that God can keep you from that sickness? Why don't you believe that he can heal you? We must do our best to believe the best. Oh, pastor, but we got to have wisdom. We got to use wisdom. Amen. And I wore a mask when I, when I was supposed to. But when it was time to take it off, guess what? I took it off. But even when I was wearing that mask, you know what I would say around my house? I ain't getting sick. I don't get sick. And they would say, oh, the, the corona's going around. It's going around. So it was going around me. <laughs> You're right. Amen. And I would say this, if I get sick, Jesus will heal me. And some of you got it once, twice, three times a Corona. Come on. And you're good. Yeah, but pastor, I had a loved one that was lost. Listen, I'm not trying to make light of it. I get it. People lost their lives. We had people here in this congregation that, you know, uh, lost their father and lost loved ones like that. But even when we experience that, believe the best. We let our circumstances get in our heart and then we're so negative that we become fearful. We become afraid. We don't try anything. Some people have wanted to start businesses for five, 10 years. They never do it because in their mind they think, well, what if it fails? Well, let me tell you something. What if it succeeds? What if you make it? What if you make a million dollars? What if you now are your own boss and you can get time off to go on missions trips? 
What if you have enough money to start taking care of your loved ones? But see, we don't think the best. We think the worst. Amen? Amen. And what I'm trying to get you to see is in this house, we want to raise up disciples that do their best. And I put that part in there for a reason, because I don't always get it right. Sometimes it's very hard to believe the best in life. It's very difficult. And I don't always get it right. But when I get off track, I have this value in my life that says, I'm going to do my best to believe the best about my situation, about y'all, about my wife, about my kids. And even when they let me down, I'm just because, you know what? I'm going to believe the best. They didn't mean that. They didn't mean that. Instead of how some of us think, oh, they meant it. You didn't take out the trash. You knew I wanted you to take out the trash and you did it on purpose. Really? I don't know a guy out there that's gonna, that would think, like, I'm going to do this on purpose. <laughs> but that's how you think. So we want to change that. Amen? So we, one of the values, we do our best to believe the best. Amen? And then we also talked about this next one. We do our best to speak the best. Because as we're relating to God through prayer and the word, we want to allow the word to increase faith so that we believe the best about our life. And then the third thing, the next thing we want to do is we want to speak the best. Because Proverbs 18, 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, this is where most people stop when they confess that verse. But that's not all the verse says. It says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, will eat its fruit. You know what that means? It means this, the life you have, you probably spoke. You're eating the fruit of all your negative talk, all your fears, all your anxiety, all of that. You're probably living in what you spoke five to 10 years ago. Selah, pause, think about that. So my job as your shepherd, I want to create a culture where we do our best. Again, I don't always get it right, but I'm going to do my best to speak the best. Amen? Amen. Instead of always speaking what could go wrong. And some of you are incredible at that. This is what could go. Oh, you know, some of us were raised by parents that, you know, every time you left the house, they have the worst case scenario in their mind. Mijo, be careful out there. What's going to happen, mom? You might get hit by a car. Be careful out there, mijo. There's dogs in the neighborhood. Dogs in the neighborhood. See, in her mind, you're getting chased and bit by a pack of dogs. Mijo, be careful. And so we, you know, we, we have these things and we've got to change that from our thinking to now our speaking. You know what a big part of my prayer life is, is just walking the floor and thanking God and confessing. God, I thank you my family is blessed. God, I thank you I have more than enough. So you got to speak what you're going to have in the years to come. But some of us are too conditioned to only talk about what is wrong. You ever call somebody and right away they go into how bad their day is? Ugh, it's the worst. It's the worst. Hey, how you doing? Not too good. What's wrong? Well, my boss is on one again and it's making my day hard and I just hate it here. Did I really need to know that? Why you, can I go talk to your boss? 
How many ever talked to somebody like that? The conditions. I mean, you guys are afraid to raise your hand because you're sitting right next to them. No, pastor, I don't know people like that. Not in my world. We do our best. Again, we don't always get it right. But learn to speak good things over your kids. Learn to speak good things over your spouse. Learn to speak good things over your job, your boss, all those, all those different things. And we've talked about that. And the last three I want to give you right now, and we're done. I can do it in six minutes right here. The last thing, three cultural points that we have as a church is about what we do, okay? It's about what we do. If you go to Elevate Life Church, as for this house, these are the kind of disciples we want to build in this community. And this next cultural point goes like this. We serve God by serving people. We serve God by serving people. We started today reading from Matthew 25, 37 through 45. And the basis of that scripture is Jesus coming to somebody and saying, hey, thank you for feeding me. Thank you for clothing me. Thank you for helping me. And the person looks at Jesus puzzled. Like, what are you talking about? I never did any of those things. And Jesus makes this statement that the American church has missed. He makes this statement. He says this, when you did it for the least of these, it was exactly as if you were doing it for me. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to the next person in the verse. And he says, and there will be those on the left hand where he says, he looks at him and says, depart from me. You're cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And you say, why would Jesus do that? And he states, because when I was hungry, you did nothing for me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. Depart from me. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, when, when, when people hear that, they, 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 on, the, on the surface level, they go, oh my gosh, I better get out there and feed homeless people. Oh my gosh, I better get out there. I'm gonna carry water in my car now because I never want God to say that. But you're missing the point. The point is to not make you all be carriers of water and food in your car so you can help homeless people. The point is this. This is what Jesus wants you to get. If you wanna do those other things, fine, do it. But the point is this. What you do for other people, God takes it as if you did it for him. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the problem with the American church. Statistically, in American churches, only 12% of the people in the church actually serve in the church they go to. Less than 20% of people that go to a church in America actually give financially to the church that they call home. They do nothing for anybody in the church. And it gets worse because they leave that church and they live their lives and they do nothing for anybody outside of their little family. They will face Jesus one day. And could it be he will look at them and say, why didn't you serve me? Because remember, in this scripture, 
Jesus equates serving him with how well you serve other people. See, in the American church, and I keep, I keep pointing out the American church because I've been to over 40 different nations. I see how the church is working in other cultural landscapes, in Africa, in Central and South America, in Asia, and it's working different. Believers are still bringing sacrifices to God of their time, of their giving. But in America, we've been taught a gospel that says you don't have to do nothing. And in the age of the mega church, which I believe is a great thing, the more people that want to come to church, amen. But one of the negative things that has come about that is you could go to a mega church or a large church, any church that's over 2,000 is considered a mega church, and you could sit in a chair where nobody even knows you came to church. Nobody knows if you were there or not. And you could sit in a church where you don't have to give and you don't have to serve. And you could just come in and eat of the word, enjoy the worship, and leave and do nothing and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But if I read the Bible, I beg to differ. Because even King David knew in the Old Testament, how can I come to God with a sacrifice that costs me nothing? And I tell you what, pastors in America, we're the most guilty because we've tried to make everything as comfortable for people so that you could come and there's no pain involved. If you don't like me talking about that topic, I'll remove it. If you don't like us doing this, we won't do it. We'll get you in church in an hour. You go home. You don't have to give. You don't have to do anything. You can just come and receive and receive. But then I get to Matthew 25. And it doesn't work in the context of that kind of Christianity. Because what Jesus is trying to teach us in Matthew 25 is you actually serve God by serving people. So here's the opposite side of that. If you don't serve people, you are not serving God. Oh, oh but pastor, I go to church. Do you realize in Matthew 25, he makes no mention of church attendance, of worship, of prayer, of tithes, of offerings? When he is facing these people, he brings up acts of service as the equivalent to having served him. So here's my point. If you go to this church... I'm going to challenge you to serve people because everything you do for others, God says, you did it for me. So there are people in the nursery today taking care of babies, watching Jesus. There's a lady in the nursery today rocking a baby and Jesus is going to come to her one day and say, man, thank you for rocking me that one Sunday. And you were happy about it. You weren't all mad because it was your day to serve. Like so-and-so, he'll probably call you out because that's what Jesus does. You weren't like so-and-so, you, you wanted to be in there. He's going to say thank you for that. He's going to thank the ushers. Hey, man, thank you for when I came to your church for ushering. Well, Lord, I was serving the people, but yeah, but everything you did for the people, you did for me. Hey, worship team, thank you for coming in at 7.30 on those Sundays when you could have been sleeping in. 
but you got up every day to come and lead me in worship. No, Jesus, we were worshiping you. He goes, yeah, but you were also serving the people by providing music and sounds and leadership. And when you did that, you did it as unto me. Thank you for that. So you could see why as a shepherd, my main goal is to get all of you involved so that one day when you're presented to Jesus, he looks at you and he says, hey, thank you. Thank you for serving at that Easter outreach and giving up a Saturday to come and serve my people and my family. Thank you for that. Thank you for taking the day off. Hey, thank you for sowing a large offering so that that outreach could happen because I really had a good time. Are you guys seeing how this works? But the average Christian does nothing but goes to church. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying it's your works that save you. Totally not saying that. But what I am saying is when you are truly saved, you then have works. The proof that Jesus is in my life is my works. That's what the book of James says. James chapter uh, Uh, James chapter two, verse 17 puts it like this. Faith without works is dead. What does the word dead mean? Dead means it's not working. You ever had your phone go dead? It's not working. Even though it has all this ability to do amazing things, when my phone goes dead, it doesn't work. Now, what does the book of Romans tell us? We are saved by faith. But if I have a faith that is not working, I'm not saved. Guys, we're going to be shocked at Judgment Day of all the people that went to church every Sunday but are going to be judged and God, Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you because the way you serve God is by serving others. Can I get an amen on that? It's a heavy word, but I got to tell you because I'll tell you what, it would be a shame to end up in hell having spent your whole life in church. Hey, if I'm going to hell, I can think of some better ways to get there. Come on, somebody. Amen. I definitely ain't going to hell. having been in church every day, every Sunday. But the scriptures are clear. The way you serve Jesus is by serving others. Amen. Come on, ask your neighbor if they're getting this real quick. The last two I want to give you real quick because these are a part of the house. You guys are so generous in this way. The next cultural point is this. We live to give. We live to give. We live to give. We live to give. It's what we do. Fish swim in the water. Birds fly. Christians give. God so loved the world, he gave. If you follow Jesus, you cannot be stingy. You can't. If going to church and and offerings make you uncomfortable, I wonder if Jesus, if you're really serving Jesus. Generosity is a part of who we are. You gotta get over it. Man, but I don't, you know, why are we always giving? That's what we do. Well, you know, why is giving? Why we always gotta be giving? Remember what Jesus said? And remember, we're following him. It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, some of you still living on the opposite side of that. You still live live under, it's more blessed to get. Nah, in the kingdom, it's more blessed to give. And you might say, why? Well, that's why you got to read your word. 
Look at Proverbs chapter three, nine and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Guys, it's who we are. We give. And there's some Christians, they've been serving God five, 10, 20 years, and they have still not learned to give God the tithe. They've still not learned that everything I have is because of him. And when there's a need, I can dip into what God has given me, give it, and God will give me more. If you're a part of this house, this is how we get down. We live to give. And because of that, the Bible promises me that I'll always have more. Because what I give, God gives back to me. Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you come to this church every Sunday, I'm going to give you an opportunity to bring to God finances. I know some pastors, they stop receiving offerings. And they did that because they took a poll and the poll said people did not like to hear about money in church. And I understand why. There's been some crooked pastors out there. There's been some crooked churches out there. Here's what we do. We don't go to those churches and we don't listen to those pastors. But we definitely don't back off of what God's word tells us to do. And what we do is we find a place where we could trust that when I give, it is being used for the kingdom, not to buy some fool's gold jet, come on somebody, or to fund their mansion or this or that. No, run from anything that you feel like that, but you still have to honor the scriptures. And in this house, we will never shy away from coming to you and saying, hey, we got a need. We're gonna receive an offering. We wanna give you an opportunity to sow into our Easter outreach. We need your help pray about what you can do. You know, when we bring in a guest speaker, we take up two offerings, one for the house. And after the guest speaker is done, we say, hey, the Bible talks about sowing seed into good ground. He's good ground. Sow a seed today. We give you an opportunity to give into that. Why? Because as Christians, we give. Because this is what Jesus did. Can I get an amen on that? And the last cultural point I want to give you as we close is we go. On the count of three, I want you to say that. One, two, three. We go. We go. What does that mean? Well, it comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus' last words to the church was this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. He didn't just give that to me when I was 19 years old. He gives it to you. He saves you from hell. He forgives you for all the dirt you've done. He takes away your shame, your anxiety, and all that God asks that you do is go. The majority of Christians in America don't go anywhere. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, go, missions, missions. Yeah, 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 missions. But hey, how about you just go to school with Jesus and take Jesus into your school? How about you just go to work with Jesus and take Jesus to your work? Come on, somebody. Amen. How about wherever you go, you take Jesus? Amen. And after you're done with that community, 
Let's hit the nations because he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations or all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to do all things that I've commanded you. And lo, Corey and Brenda, this is your scripture. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the work. I wish that, I wish my last name was Lo. I would, that's a tattoo scripture right there. Sorry, sorry, I know mom doesn't like tattoos. Sorry, that's just me, I'm just saying. But that's a good scripture right there. And Lo, I will be with you always. My point is this, guys. If you're followers of Jesus Christ, you must be doing what he's doing. This cultural Christianity that we have in America I am on a mission to dismantle it. And let me tell you why. Because it's harmful and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You will go to church your whole life and your life will not be any better than somebody that doesn't go to church. Because coming to God without making sacrifices produces no fire. Saying yes to Jesus, but I'm not going to do what you do separates you from the plan and purpose of God. We've all been saved to go. Amen? We've all been saved to go. And if you're not going, which means if you're not taking the message of Jesus Christ to anybody around you, the flow has probably been cut off in your life. And it could be why you're struggling in life. Because everything that God has given you has not been made to sit in your spirit. It's been put there so you can give it out. The greatest analogy I could think of is water. Water, when it's flowing, is fresh. You go up in the mountains of the Sierras and you see a brook or a river flowing down over the rocks. That, those rocks purify that water. The movement of the water makes it pure that you can go down there and you can drink it. And it'll quench your thirst. It'll bring you life. But there are areas from that river where the water runs off and it sits in a pond and it's not flowing and that water becomes death. If you drink that contaminated bacteria-filled water, the parasites in there can actually kill you because the water is not flowing. Now remember, Jesus said, I've come to give you rivers of living water. What some of us have done is we've cut off the flow. And guess what that will produce in your life? Religion. You will become religious. And religion kills people. Religion will keep Jesus from ever reaching your children or your children's children. Because they'll look at you and they'll go, I don't want to be like her. I don't want to be like him. They're religious. They have the form of godliness, but zero power. Church, we're on a mission. We're on a mission. As for this house, we want to serve the Lord by serving people. We want to live to give. And we want to be people that have a go on the inside of them. I want to commission you. Get out there in your schools, in your families, in your community. And then at some point, come with me to a nation. Come with me and allow your life to preach Jesus to somebody in another nation. Now, some people go, well, you know, what can I do at another nation? You would be surprised. God is going to use you because of your obedience. 
Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store and you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.